Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor. So this is the show where I like to talk to comedians and learn basically what influenced their comedy when it comes to late night. And also, I just want to find out how they got so dang funny. So today on the show, I'm very fortunate. This is a guy that I met through an improv class. I always thought he was so funny. So, so funny. He's an Atlanta-based actor. He's a performer and he's an improviser. So please welcome to the show, Mr. John Mangan. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to talk to you. Uh, like I said before, you know, when it when we had the improv class together with Matt Stanton, I, I, I thought you were so funny. And so when I was thinking of guests to talk to, to really learn, you know, what has influenced comedians careers, I was like, I have to talk to John. This is someone who I, I need to talk. To. <laughs> well, thanks, man. That's a high compliment. I really appreciate it. I mean, when we took that class and I had a chance to see how funny you were, I had hoped privately to myself that one day you would invite me to be interviewed on a podcast and, it frankly couldn't have worked out any better. I mean, it's literally happening right now. Dreams come true. That's uh, they really do. do come true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to get started, I want to know right off the bat. Growing up, what late night influenced you in your comedy? I'm a huge late night fan. Uh, I would say probably the first and still the king for me is uh, David Letterman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched some Carson and stuff a little bit when I was younger, but my dad actually used to record uh, David Letterman shows like when he was on at 1230, the late night, Dave. Mm-hmm. And he would record those. I mean, this is going way back here. I'm a little I'm a little kid. I think it was on Betamax, which are you are you named after the that uh, pre VHS format? Uh, no, my my parents, like you... <laughs> say, they, they say I'm named after our mailman. That's what they tell me. <laughs> Awesome, uh, but yeah, my dad used to record on Betamax. Wait, I sh- do, you, do you have you even heard of Betamax before? Is that a, I, just a reference that's too far out there? I actually, I have no idea what Betamax is. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, this is really why I called in because I want to educate people about obsolete technology. <laughs> so you see, Beta, no Betamax is, was like a precursor to VHS and uh, VHS one. Oh, and VHS is is a tape uh, system. Have you heard of VHS? Yes, I, I'm familiar, okay, right. <laughs> familiar with that. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting too off t- uh, subject here. But my dad, first on Betamax, then on VHS, uh, would record these 1230 shows. You know, he, he wouldn't stay up late. He would, he would work early in the morning and stuff. And uh, I would occasionally watch these David Letterman late night uh, bits with him. Uh, he was a huge fan of the stand-ups that would come on, uh, the interviews and, you know, the stupid human tricks, stupid pet tricks. And, you know, just from a really young age to see my dad laughing at stuff, like even if I didn't get it, I would just, you know, laugh at it anyways, because it was fun. And, uh, you know, and so that just from a very early age was a super huge influence on me Um, to the point where like when I got a little bit older, when I was allowed to have a TV in my room, I would actually, this is when Dave had moved to CBS by this time to the 1130 show, I would actually you know, wait until everybody in the house had gone to sleep and just kind of lay there motionless like a psychopath uh, and wait until 
you, you know, past my bedtime and, and watch uh, David Letterman and be tired in school the next day, but telling all my friends at recess about uh, Muji Burr and Sarah Jewel and, uh, you know, and all the, the fun uh, on the street interviews that, that Dave Letterman did the night before. So when you're watching David Letterman, I know you said as a kid, you know, you were really watching it to kind of bond with your dad and laugh at what your dad was laughing at. But totally, when, totally. when when you started watching it because you wanted to watch it, what were you watching for? What drew you to it? Well, I can definitely say that Dave, the CBS version of Dave, which was supposedly, um, you know, he was going to be playing more to the middle, whereas he was, you know, kind of crazy at 1230. Um, the 1130 day was still very revolutionary. Uh, he did these man on the street bits. He wasn't literally on the street. He had a cameraman go out and interview people on the streets of New York and you find all these really interesting characters. Uh, Muji Burr and Sarah Jill that I just referenced earlier, if you haven't heard of those guys, were a couple of fellows that owned like a souvenir shop uh, in Manhattan. Um, you, have you heard of these guys? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He would go, he interviewed these guys. I think he had Rupert from Rupert's Deli. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, and just all these really interesting pieces that were not scripted, you know, at, at all, um, you know, maybe the questions were scripted, but certainly the responses weren't. And so to see that kind of thing in the days before reality television, before that was a norm, uh, I thought was so cool and so revolutionary and kind of like, I don't know, just, just so uh, different and trailblazing that it really drew me to his comedy. It's it's interesting that you mentioned like it being not scripted because I know now today you do a lot of improvising. So do you think seeing that unscripted, just the people are talking off the top of their heads, do you think that really influenced how you looked at comedy? You know, uh, it it probably did. Um, I like sort of the, I always thought of Dave as kind of like um, anti-establishment and kind of a, you know, I mean, he had a, a late night show on CBS. So how anti-establishment can you be? But definitely, he went against the grain in a lot of things in comedy, uh, and and was so good off the cuff and so quick. And uh, I think, yeah, that going off the cuff and and being um, just trying your best to be quick. I was always impressed by anybody that can be really quick-witted uh, on the fly. And I'm not saying that I am, but certainly something that I strive for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David Letterman's show was was kind of like the anti-talk show. Like, it, it went against all the other talk shows and what they did before him, in my opinion. Totally. Absolutely. Like, like Late Night with Dave on NBC was 100% that. It was like the antithesis of uh, of the tonight show without being disrespectful to the institution because dave was a huge admirer of johnny's and vice versa johnny carson that is um and yeah i mean even having guests on like uh you know andy kaufman who would just do like the most unbelievable stunts that you like uh, as an audience member uh or as a betamax watcher you'd be like is this real is this fake where where's the line and that's i mean there wasn't a lot of that on TV prior to David Letterman, other than maybe Saturday Night Live with that sort of meta, strange kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely cool. So besides David Letterman, growing up, what else were you watching on Late Night? Well, I'm, like I said, huge Late Night fan, so I would always watch it all, pretty much. Uh, but then once Conan came along, Late Night with Conan, the NBC Conan, 
uh, again, a huge influence. Uh, I can remember just uh, doubled over laughing at dang near every night with uh, with his bits. Uh, Conan's still one of my favorites to this day. Um, huge fan of Conan O'Brien as well. Now, did you watch both Letterman and Conan for just the sketches and bits, or were you also like uh, interested in seeing the interviews and what the celebrities had to say and their interactions with the host? Well, um, kind of a, a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've always been just kind of attracted to the idea of the late night show kind of as like a cult of personality. Um, because I think it takes a certain kind of person to do um, comedy every night of the week, pretty much uh, every night of the year, uh, in this way that has to be broad enough to get ratings and, uh, you know, kind of smart enough to hopefully get nominated for some Emmys or, or you know, have some, uh, you know, have some good will within the comedy community too. And I think it, that's got to be so, so difficult. And so I, I've always been attracted to um, all the different late night uh, shows for a lot of different reasons. Like Conan, I think, I, actually the, my favorite part of his show grew to be uh, beyond the sketches and monologues and, and all that was uh, his interviews. Because oftentimes at 1230, he didn't have very good guests, mm-hmm. uh, especially like the second or third guest was like, you know, maybe the fifth most popular person on Survivor uh, from two seasons prior. And he just found a way, whether it's just his natural ability or he, he gained this ability because he did it so much, uh, to make these, um, you know, B, C, D list celebrities, uh, fun to watch and fun to interact with. And he was so funny in the interviews, um, that it was just amazing. Now, Dave, I just always liked, you know, uh, also, yeah, Dave's interviews too were were crazy too, because he would kind of go, uh, again, to use the term against the grain, he would, he had kind of almost had a disdain for the idea of celebrity, especially in the early years and make it kind of see like whatever the celebrity was saying, just make it seem so vapid and just throw away that they would actually get (laughs) in their own heads, which was, I thought really funny to watch. Um, But I do know they had trouble booking guests in those early years because of those reasons. But um, yeah, the interviews, the bits, just the, the whole aura of the, late night talk show has always been very attractive to me and just learning about everything about it. So today, what late night are you watching? Um, I, well, we consume it a little bit differently now, right? With the mm-hmm. uh, advent of the internet. No, wait, uh, Max, do you know the internet or is that before your time? I've, I've so, heard, I've heard. I'm not, you're more into like the mobile web, like web <laughs> 3.0. Right. <laughs> Right. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there's this thing called America Online. No. Uh, <laughs> wait. What was the question again? Uh, oh, who do I watch now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we consume it a little bit differently, right? You know, with you know, you see on Facebook, uh, people share the best bits and skits, and, and it skits, and it's uh, chunked up and, into different things where you don't take in the whole hour. And there are so many now, frankly, that are good. You don't have time to watch uh, the whole hour. But I will say that probably the one that I wind up watching the most right now is Seth Meyers. Yeah, I was a big fan of his on Weekend Update. I didn't really think he would translate 
his skill set would translate to um, hosting a late night show. Like I know what the hell I'm talking about, but uh, <laughs> uh, it turns out that I really, really like his desk pieces to start the show and his commentary on the news. Uh, I see him as the next best thing to John Stewart's kind of commentary on the news. And it's, there's that, I think because it's um, about the news, it brings that sense of urgency that I want to watch it every day, you know, on DVR or at night, um, what have you. Whereas I don't feel I can go back on YouTube and, you know, gang watch a bunch of funny bits. I, I want to, there's the urgency of, uh, of the current affairs that he covers that make me want to watch it, um, you know, pretty, pretty much daily. So I'd say he's my favorite. But I, you know, Colbert, I love as well. Colbert was a guy that he started doing the Colbert Report when I was in college. And he, talking about revolutionary, he changed the game, doing it as a character that mm -hmm. for 10 years plus. Uh, unbelievable. And, that, and then he's been able to uh, claim the number one spot in late night being himself as well. So Colbert's another one that I watch. Um, and Fallon, even though Fallon gets a bad rap uh, a lot of times for you know, uh, mussing uh, Donald Trump's hair and being maybe a little bit too friendly. You got to admit that he is so super talented and so great at impressions that, uh, I mean, you can't help but watch his, you know, his viral bits as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, one guy, one guy you didn't mention that I want to throw his name in there because I know he, he's my favorite that I watch now. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I am a huge, huge Jimmy Kimmel fan. I love what awesome. he does. Um, and the interesting thing is like, I started watching late night, kind of like you uh, to really bond with my dad. My dad had on David Letterman oh, cool. when I was four or five years old. So I have very vivid memories as a little kid watching David Letterman and then going to school, which I'm sure it, it might be similar to you going to school and being like, guys, did you see what David Letterman did last night? Like, <laughs> your friends are like, no, <laughs> we don't watch that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, absolutely. But I, I, my dad would always fast forward through the bits and sketches. Like he, we would watch, we would watch uh, Letterman's top 10 list. And whenever they did stupid pet tricks or stupid human tricks, but then he would skip to the interview. So that's really what I love about late night. I love the interview part. And so just in uh -huh. my opinion, bringing it back to Jimmy Kimmel, I believe in my opinion, he's the best interviewer right now on late night. So I, I love him. That's who I watch. That's awesome. And I do definitely love Jimmy Kimmel as well. I am a fan. Like I said, they're, they're all good right now. There's not anybody, well, except for, I don't really like James Corden, but I won't, I won't speak about that right now. But uh, all, everybody that has a late night show right now, I'm 100% a fan of. And Jimmy Kimmel, I agree, is very conversational and I think is really, really good at making, you know, a three-minute bit or a five-minute interview segment not seem frivolous like it seems loose and it doesn't seem overly scripted and i think he does do a really good job of that um and i i listen to howard stern uh on uh sirius xm like almost every day and i've come to learn that jimmy kimmel and howard stern are like best friends did you realize this i did not know that huh. yeah it's crazy right uh they don't see each other that often i guess because uh you know, they're on different coasts, but Jimmy Kimmel will, um, as often as possible, come in and like kind of co-host the show with them. And so I've learned a lot uh, about 
Jimmy Kimmel, whereas I, I didn't um, watch him that much. Not because I didn't like him, just because, uh, you know, there are other guys that I, I had been watching. But I've come to really look for his stuff more and come to like him a lot more because I've gotten to know him, uh, surprisingly, through Howard Stern's show, you know? <laughs> yeah, that I, I just wouldn't imagine them being friends, you know? Like, it's a weird pairing, I guess, in my mind. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Howard's a lot older than Jimmy, but I think Jimmy Kimmel has something in common with you and I is that yeah, I'm sure you know this, that he's a huge, massive David Letterman fan. Yeah. Uh, did, have you, have you heard of this before? Oh yeah. Yeah. So he had, he had like, a, I think a license plate in high school that said late night. Uh, and he like had, had, there's pictures of him having birthday cakes that were David Letterman themed birthday cakes when he was a kid mm-hmm. and, uh, obsessed with David Letterman. And, uh, but yeah, he he also was obsessed to another extent with Howard Stern, getting these tapes, these cassette tapes, which I, I won't go into the technology of cassette tapes, but uh, <laughs> he he would get these cassette tapes uh, from his cousins in New York. He lived in, I believe, Las Vegas and uh, and and came to really like Howard Stern. And he, now, now they're uh, like best friends. But one thing about Howard Stern, you think, you know, it's not maybe the best or, or most uh, the, the pairing that you would expect is Howard kind of in his old age has become, you know, a better interviewer and a good commentator on broadcasting as a whole. He likes to comment on late night a lot. And I think um, their shared kind of love and interest in late night kind of brought them together. I'm sure other things as well, but at least on air, that's what it seems like. Now, as you were talking, I, I just thought of this and I want you to comment on what you think. In a lot of ways, you know, Howard Stern and David Letterman, well, I won't say a lot of ways, but in, in a good number of ways, maybe like less than five, uh, Howard Stern <laughs> and David Letterman are, are similar in that David Letterman brought in a complete new wave and a new way of doing late night, just like how Howard Stern brought in a complete new way of doing radio. So, Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say it's it's interesting how Jimmy Kimmel took a liking to liking the different late night and then also the different radio, but there are connections there. Absolutely. There are connections. And I think, uh, one thing that really broke Howard Stern on a national level was David Letterman because David Letterman working at uh, NBC at the 1230 show and Howard Stern was, uh, had his radio show with WNBC at the time, uh, people in New York knew Howard, but uh, he wasn't known on a national level until David Letterman recognized this sort of newness and freshness and craziness of Howard Stern and brought him on as a guest, even though he had no national recognition, because that was kind of Dave's style, bringing in like these Harvey P. Carr kind of uh, uh, atypical guests. And that was something that actually broke Howard Stern. So it's, uh, it's connected in a way, or well, Dave and, and Howard are definitely connected. Um, and then Jimmy Kimmel being huge fans of both of them and now kind of really good friends with Howard and sort of friends with David. There are definitely a lot of connections there. Yeah. So, so to go, to go back in time to the lands of, of Betamax and cassette tapes when you were, <laughs> uh, did you notice that you had a different type of humor than everyone else? Or you looked at comedy a different way when you were a younger kid? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, I would say that, 
definitely, I looked at it in a different way, but that I had friends who also looked at it the same way. Maybe not necessarily staying up to, um, you know, and waiting for everybody to go to sleep and watching David Letterman. But my friends growing up, I had a, a group of friends that were just, I think, the funniest people in the world. Like, still to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm still friends with them, uh, with many of them. And just, uh, you know, I, I think I'm lucky to have had friends like this because they all kind of have that skewed, kind of different, uh, sarcastic, acerbic uh, sense of humor. So we found each other pretty, pretty early on. And, and, you know, we all kind of clicked on that level of, hey, what is this new, weird, uh, different uh, kind of look at comedy? So we had, had that in common for sure. So you guys not only liked the same type of comedy, but did you also like watch comedy together or write or perform together? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, as a young kid, uh, certainly I had, uh, uh, one of my best friends to this day, uh, we would actually like write skits and record them. Like we were big fans of like, uh, like Adam Sandler's, uh, albums and we would like write skits and record them on, on, uh, you know, on cassette or whatever and make short videos, um, for projects at school and short presentations and, and skits and stuff like that in school. And then, even later on, like in college, after college, I would write scripts uh, with my friends and things of that, you know, scripts and kind of sketches for uh, movies and sketches and that kind of thing. Um, so, and, and still to this day, there are some of my friends that I will still, will still, uh, you know, from back in the day, I know them from back in the day and we'll still work on stuff. Do you have like an original sketch or movie idea that you came up with as a kid and young adult that you remember? And that's like your favorite thing you've ever created. Oh man, that's a, that's a really great question. And it's touching parts of my brain that I haven't accessed in very long. Mac. <laughs> this is a weird, unusual feeling that's rushing over me. <laughs> Nostalgia. Um, oh man. I remember uh, me and my buddy Will, who I've known for so long that we, you know, since we were kids, we <laughs> were fans of Far Side cartoons, mm -hmm. and we did a bunch of live versions, like extended versions of Far Side cartoons. Um, and I just remember—I don't even remember what they were about. Just that we would, we like had drawn them bigger so we could show to the class. And then, you know, obviously, I don't know if you know Farsight cartoons, they're like one-panel cartoons. Right. Uh, and we were like in fourth or fifth grade. And then we would like extend that one panel into, you know, a couple of lines to make a scene. And I, rem I just remember one time doing that, that something was making us sick and we, we were doing this presentation to the class. And every time the other guy was presenting to the class, the other guy would walk behind the teacher's desk and pretend to vomit really loudly and then come back up and, and okay, now I'm going to do my, my speech. And then the other guy would go back, pretend to vomit loudly behind the desk desk. <laughs> and, uh, I think we got in trouble for that and did not finish the entire sketch, but, uh, it's definitely, definitely one that even if I don't remember exactly what the premise was, I definitely remember pretending to loudly vomit in, in bunch of a, uh, in front of a bunch of, uh, you know, fourth graders at a Catholic school. So is that, could you say that's where you really started your performing career? 
is vomiting in front of fourth graders? I, <laughs> well, I actually still do that to this day. Oh, okay. Uh, I charge a very reasonable fee. Uh, although legally I'm not allowed to do so. If we uh, kind of keep it under the radar, I'll give you a great price. But uh, no, I would say that uh, certainly those early performances are things that uh, made me like, made me interested in being in front of people <laughs> and uh, having confidence in front of people and uh, probably led to... Um, to some some of the performances that I do today, for sure. So when you were in college, because um, uh, well, did did you go to college with this group of comedy friends, or did you guys kind of all break up to go to college? Well, a little bit, yeah. Um, so like my friend Will that I mentioned earlier, we went. We gosh, we had been going to school since maybe kindergarten or first grade. But uh, I went to school in Philadelphia. I went to a school called Temple University, which mm -hmm. I used to say, oh, that's the school that Bill Cosby went to. But now I just say that it's in Philadelphia because <laughs> it's embarrassing. Um, so, yeah, I went to Temple, and he, he went to Villanova. So we're, we would still hang out. Villanova is also in the Philadelphia area. So we would still hang out and stuff. But, yeah, we, we separated a little bit. Um, but I had some friends from high school that wound up um, going to school with me at Temple and then made some new friends at Temple that were kind of uh, interested in some of the same things. So what, what types of comedy things did you do while in college? Actually, believe it or not, not a whole heck of a lot. We would, yeah, uh, I actually kind of got away from, from performing in college except um, a little bit um, towards the end of college and even just after. I, I dabbled in uh, stand-up and like a little bit of like sketch writing, that kind of stuff, but, but really kind of got away from it. Um, until I moved to Atlanta, which uh, which was after college, and was working here and stuff, and kind of, um, you know, I had always enjoyed being in front of people and public speaking and that that kind of thing, but uh, never really found my passion for performance uh, in a in a real way until I moved to Atlanta, which so what, was after college. What yeah. in Atlanta opened back up your your comedy career? Well, I, um, I was, I was a little bored actually. Um, <laughs> I didn't, uh, know a ton of people, you know, I have friends here, but I, uh, and we, we lived in, uh, Buckhead in, in a neighborhood in Atlanta when we first moved here, my wife and I, and, uh, then we wound up buying a house in the suburbs and, uh, I would just been used to living, uh, in a city, you know, I lived in like in center city, Philadelphia for so long. And, uh, I was just kind of bored. So I was interested in revisiting the kind of sketch writing, uh, thing that I had dabbled in towards the end of college and, and just after, and, uh, and kind of looked into it and, and found improv through, uh, just doing some research online. I'm like, well, let me take an improv class and Maybe I'll meet some like-minded folks and we can get together and, and uh, film some sketches and, and found through improv classes that I had a real passion for performing, for improv, and, uh, and wound up meeting a lot of people uh, in automatic improv, the, the group that I took classes with and wound up later performing with, um, to, we, to uh, make sketches, video sketches, and uh, live sketches occasionally that we'd perform. 
And uh, so it was kind of out of boredom <laughs> that forced me into this, that reignited and kind of uh, rekindled my my uh, love of performing. So coming out, like you mentioned, you know, you didn't really do a lot of comedy stuff in college. Coming back to or coming to Atlanta when you started at Automatic doing classes, what was the biggest challenge that you faced getting back into it? Um, well, uh, that's a good question. I guess there was probably a little bit of, I guess I had um, like this kind of moment where I, I kind of thought of myself as a funny person. But um, if I challenge that thought, like, eh, well, what proof do I have that I'm a funny person? Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I should try to put myself um, in a vulnerable position on stage and see if I can hang. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of fear in that because it's challenging a basic, uh, you know, maybe a tenet of my personality that I think, you know, if I think I'm a funny person, well, we'll prove it that there was definitely a fear of, you know, maybe you're not that funny. Maybe just, um, maybe, uh, you have a couple of drinks and you think <laughs> that you're funny, but, uh, so, so it, it was a little bit of a challenge to my own personal identity. Um, but, but, uh, one that was really fun and Im improv, I think is such a great, um, environment and like a, like supportive environment to really rediscover or discover, you know, what type of performer, what type of comedian you can be. Um, so I kind of lucked out in that regard that I came into a really supportive situation where, you know, that, that allows you to kind of find that. So you would say that improv is basically your favorite comedy type of performance? Uh, I don't know that I'd say it's my favorite. I really enjoy, um, I don't do a ton of stand up, but when I, but I like to write jokes and when I get a chance to do that, I really like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoy hosting things. That's a lot of fun too. I mean, there's a lot of improv involved in that. Um, I just like, uh, you know, and kind of, you know, get having the opportunity to be off the cuff and be kind of crazy. Um, and being solo was a lot of fun, but then I also really love the supportive environment of improv and all of the crazy kind of different characters and personalities that it allows you to explore, or not even if they're crazy, just different sides of, uh, of your own person or characters that you've wanted to try out. So I wouldn't necessarily say improv is my favorite, um, but it, it is definitely awesome. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you this question and it, kind of doesn't make any sense in my head it doesn't make any sense but maybe you'll make sense out of it good, good. Uh, oh, yeah what is the method to your improv the method to my improv well that's a good question um actually it doesn't make any sense max next question <laughs> no i'm kidding around. <laughs> uh the method to my improv um hmm I would say that I just try not to laugh at how funny I am because <laughs> when I break, nobody's going to, nobody's going to like that. No, um, that's a really, really good question. Uh, I think probably at its most basic level, um, I just really like to make sure that the last thing said was true. So I don't like to let anything slip, especially if somebody and by that, I mean, if somebody makes a mistake or mis misspeaks or um, says the wrong name, 
uh, or anything, you know, anything like that, you know, I, I don't want to just let that slide. Not that I want to put that person on blast. I want to find out like, what's the reason that they're speaking like this or can't remember my name. And that becomes part of the scene. If that makes any sense. I'm not always, of course, because that can be very challenging for the other player uh, for me to, <laughs> to just do that. But I hope, but in, in a general sense, I like to um, use uh, as much of what is said and what happens uh, in the scene. Uh, Andy Cohen, who was my first improv teacher, and now uh, Andy and I host uh, the Pretty Late Show improv show at the Village Theater, um, he always says, use every part of the buffalo, which is like, don't, let, don't waste anything. Um, if you're going to kill the majestic buffalo, then use every bit of him. Um, and so that's something that I try, I try to do and probably fail to do a lot. Well, you know what? In improv, it's okay to fail. So really, you're succeeding. You're succeeding in your failure. I'm so good at succeeding by failing. <laughs> so <laughs> now to talk about uh, stand-up a little bit, who are your favorite stand-up comedians that you watch or have watched? Okay. Well, I used to say Bill Cosby, but obviously we're going to just skip that. We're going to skip that part. I'll edit, I'll edit that part out. Don't worry. Just, yeah, just edit most of this out. Every time when I mention an old technology or when I start to be a blowhard about um, pontificating about improv, just just uh, delete that part. Okay, I'm making... um, what's that? I'm, I'm, I'm making notes. I have the time. Don't worry. Well, I'll, get, I'll take care. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, this, is, this thing is going to be like five minutes long. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh, my favorite stand-up. So... Uh, current people, I really, really love Louis C.K. Uh, he is definitely one of my favorites. He has as many uh, great hours, uh, great specials as all of the greats. I mean, he, he's really awesome right now. He's really killing it. Um, I love Chappelle. I love Chris Rock. Uh, Chris Rock was a like a bucket list uh, you know, live performance for me. And uh, I had a chance to see him at the Fox Theater in Atlanta in May. And he brought the house down. I was there. You were there? I saw him. Oh, what, it, was, it was an amazing experience, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. No, it was like he, he just could command the stage so well. And the way he writes was just so good that, I, yeah, it, it was amazing. Honestly, it was that, amazing. The Fox Theater, that house was vibrating with energy just before the show and like during the show, after the show. It was unbelievable. They brought out. Remember Bruce? Bruce came out, and he's from Atlanta, I believe, or the Atlanta area, and he killed it and was like really uh, winding everybody up. And uh, Jeff Ross was the host for the night, the Roastmaster General. And uh, I mean, yeah, Chris Rock's writing and delivery—he's just unbelievable. So it's it's so cool. I was, you know, like I said, it was a bucket list item. I'd never seen him live. I was like, uh, if I ever have an opportunity to, and man, did he deliver? That was awesome. So he's definitely. Definitely one of my favorites. Well, let me ask you this. When when listing all the comedians that you like, what about their comedy do you like? Um, the, I think the best comedians, my favorite stand-ups, are not only great joke writers, like, you know, can figure out the proper way to tell a joke. Oh, like comedians, I can tell a joke. Um, but not only are they the best uh, joke writers, but they also make it personal. 
They, they, they tell a subjective story in a way that's universal. So they're sharing something about themselves um, and then and, and touching. Uh, I believe Seinfeld used to say that it's like a stand-up comedian is like a brain surgeon. They're like touching the exact part of your brain to like make you get what, what exactly the joke is or what exactly they're saying to get you to relate to them. And I think that's, that's a real skill, and I love Seinfeld as well. Um, that all of my favorite guys and you know, all of the best guys, all of the most popular guys have in common. Guys and girls. I say guys uh, as a, I don't mean to normalize. I don't mean to make that a gender normative thing. I, I will say uh, men and women uh, because I'm a really big fan of uh, Amy Schumer. I love Ali Wong. I don't know if you saw her special, Baby Cobra, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. I mean, uh, so it's like, uh, yeah, just uh, all these these people are the best at touching that part of your brain that that makes you relate to them. Right. You know, for me, when it comes to stand up, my favorite stand up comedians are the ones who are really good storytellers. I love. Yeah. Uh, I love good stories. So for me, like I know. Uh, my dad is also a big stand-up fan, but he likes stand-ups who are good at crafting words. He likes, yeah. you know, when when the words are put together in such a specific way that it's only funny in that specific way. But for me, I like it where it's a good story. So I recently watched uh, Kevin Hart's stand-up special, What Now? And I haven't his- seen that one yet. The whole thing, the whole thing is is not really him going set up, set up, set up, punchline, set up, punchline. It's more just like, let me tell you stories that happened to me in my life. And they are so funny. The way he tells it, and now granted, obviously, he probably made up some stuff in the story, but just him telling the story is so funny. So I love a good storyteller. Storytellers for me are what do it. Oh, I'm I'm totally with you 100%. And that's that's one reason why I don't go to stand up that much. I think that the best stand ups are good at revealing pieces of themselves, uh, you know, through story and through kind of anecdotes, which I, I consider myself to be an okay joke writer, but I don't think I'd ever be a, a, a great stand up because I'm not I don't think I'm good at that and what you're talking about at that 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 sharing the story sharing the personal um the personal stories that all the great ones have that that makes me a little bit intimidated to attempt it even to attempt it more than I do. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's funny you say that because, and the only reason why I know this Kevin Hart story is because I just finished reading his 360 page autobiography. But he tells a story when he first started, he went by the name Lil Kev the Bastard, and he would just. <laughs> He would just write absurd jokes. Like he had this whole joke, this whole story about getting robbed by a midget who then would, I think, headbutt him in, in his nuts. Like that was the punchline. And it, it would like, it's pretty good, though. That's good. That's solid. Like night after night, it would just destroy, destroy. And then he, he met this guy. I, I think it was either Keith Robbins or Keith Robinson. It was one or the other. Um, who's another comedian, and the guy was like, look, first of all, you cannot go by Lil' Kev the Bastard because Lil' Kev the Bastard is not going to sell out arenas. And secondly, you got to tell more personal jokes. And he writes about how he struggled with that. It was really difficult opening up to audiences. But once he did, um, it really started catching on. Like 
he tells a story about how him and his girlfriend would get in these horrific fights where she would just like end up beating him and then he would hit her back and it was like horrific but one time they were fighting and she she hit him and so he called the police on her and the police <laughs> came police came and Kevin Hart was like she hit me take her to jail and the police go ma'am are you okay and she's like yeah we're good and so he talked in stand up about how he called the police cuz he's scared of his girlfriend and that you know opening up what he was scared to do really took him to another level but i get what you're saying i totally get what you're saying yeah absolutely and i think yeah he that he he realized i guess relatively early on you know a super funny guy i've heard him interviewed where he used to work at like a footlocker in philly i believe and and uh, people just thought he was super funny and should do stand up so a guy who's just electric on his own but to get to that next step you know needed to figure out a way to become more truthful in his comedy and obviously he did and he's like one of the biggest stars on the planet even though he's not that tall <laughs> short joke i i can i can relate to that because being only five foot i'm five foot six and it it's rough it's rough out here on these streets being, well, <laughs> being only five Max, foot I, wanna, six. I want to apologize to you that was actually kind of insensitive i don't want to make a height normative comment uh, I, I definitely take that back. Uh, that was an insensitive joke. And please, please, I hope you edit that out as well. Well, you know what? Not only will I not edit that out, I will include that in the short write-up about your life when I publish this show. That's going to be a double oh, whammy no. here. <laughs> oh, man. So now today, uh, you know, we talked about your improv career. We talked about, you know, what you like about stand-up. What are you doing today? when it comes to comedy? Oh, yeah. i uh, got a couple of things going on right now. Uh, so um, going with the theme of late night, uh, Andy Cohen, who I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. and I host a show called The Pretty Late Show, which is a an improv show at the Village Theater. I say we do it monthly, but really it works out to about every six weeks. Um, but it is it's kind of the, we say it's an improvised, uh, an improvised late night talk show. Uh, we come out, we get suggestions from the audience and do kind of a bit at the top. But uh, really the part of a late night talk show that it, um, it looks at or, or kind of hopes to mimic in a way is that we bring on guests, um, other improvisers or, or stand-ups from around the city. Uh, and we do an interview, kind of a really loose interview. And then we perform uh, a bunch of improv scenes based on that interview. Oh, cool! Right after the interview, and and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I love doing it. It's a great way to not only pay homage to uh, to to late night, of which I'm a, a huge fan of the genre, but also to get an opportunity to play with my favorite improvisers that uh, I might not otherwise have a chance to play with, and and play with them in a really uh, loose and fun environment. So that's really cool. Um, so check that out. Pretty late show. Um, I also, uh, perform with a group called automatic improv every so often, another group called, uh, perfect strangers and so many, so many fun names, uh, perfect strangers. That's at Highland Inn ballroom lounge. Um, we do that once a month, the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, in fact, there's a show tonight. Uh, wait, we want to make this podcast evergreen, so I won't say that there's a show tonight. We'll say it's the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, 
Um, because when our children's children are listening to this podcast years from now, I don't want them like, oh, it sounds very dated to say this Tuesday night. Um, so there's that. And I also, another thing at the village theater I've been working on is a, uh, a Chicago style sketch review where we kind of improvise, uh, to help inform our writing of sketches. And it'll be a sketch review that runs for, uh, I think like five weeks beginning October 20th, every Friday and Saturday night. Uh, so we have that going right now. That's live performance stuff. Um, and I'll also, um, Recently filmed some commercials that'll be airing soon, and recently did a project with Adult Swim that will be on in a couple of months, and I think is going to be really funny. So those, I think, those are the big things. That's awesome. Well, that's super cool. I'm happy to hear that everything's coming up, John. That's exciting. Everything's coming up, Mangan House. <laughs> so let me ask you, what is your ultimate goal? What's the ultimate point that that you want to reach in your mind? Oh, man, that's a tough question. It's funny because you're just talking about Kevin Hart. And whenever I like to minimize myself in front of other people, which is something I like to do, I like to say, hey, look, it's not like I want to be Kevin Hart. I just want to perform, which is true. I do want just want to perform. But ultimately, I really would like to uh, to continue to perform, of course, but be uh, a writer and a performer, Lord willing, and uh, and be involved in the creation of of film or television um, is definitely a goal of mine, something that I'll continue to work towards. That's awesome. And my, my one final question, I asked this to all of my guests. They've all answered this exact same question. So you're in a good group with people uh, when I ask you this. Mm. Uh, what is one thing, one piece of advice that you would tell someone who wants to be in your shoes or a piece of advice you would tell your younger self? Okay, somebody who wants to be in my shoes, I would say, uh, what is wrong with you? You need to rethink your life. There's so much, there's so much you could be doing. You're so talented, and you're so young. Uh, I would say uh, to my younger self, I would probably, um, probably try to get into comedy a little bit earlier than I than I did in earnest. Even though I don't, you know, really regret anything. Um, you know, that's definitely something I, I would have liked to have pursued earlier. But I think um, even more important than that, something that I would tell my younger self and I'll tell uh, my son, who is 15 months old and his name is Jack and he's really cute, um, is to, to really be tenacious um, and kind of uncompromising about following your dreams, uh, which I know sounds so, so blowhardy, but I can't help it, Max. I'm a blowhard. Um, because nobody else is going to be tenacious for you and nobody else is going to, uh, believe in you, uh, as much as, as, you know, your close circle and, and especially yourself. So, you know, if you, if you kind of keep working at it, um, you know, hopefully good things happen. That was great. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it was, I, I feel good about that. I feel good. You can leave that part out. I'll, okay, sounds good. I was gonna edit. No, I'm just kidding. I'll keep that part. No, in. I, I could, I could. There was a little lilt in your voice. I was like, eh, is he gonna edit that out? I think he is. I better <laughs> say something. So, John, if you want people to be able to find you online or find out, you know, what's on your calendar, uh, what you're doing mm -hmm. next, where's a place that they can Google you or find you? 
Yeah, um, I have a website that uh, is <laughs> forever under construction, but it does have like my reel and some sketches and I think some commercials that I've done. That is jmanganjr, as in junior, dot com that you can check out. And that is also my Twitter handle, jmanganjr, and my Instagram. And I think my Facebook as well. So jmanganjr is the place to find me. And uh, if I have anything cool going on, J Mang and JR will let you know. Well, very cool. Well, thank you, John, again for being on the show. I appreciate it. I had so much fun talking with you. And I'll, I'll, I won't edit out most of our conversation. So that's <laughs> always a plus. Um, thank you today, anyone who's tuning in. Thank you for listening. Remember to like our Facebook page at Talking Late Night. Also, please rate us five out of five. I would greatly appreciate it. I'll even take a four out of five, but five out of five is preferable. You can also find us on iTunes where you can download our show and rate us there as well, or check us out on our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Max.